Well, here we are at another one of our Green Room podcasts, and we're getting ready to uh, talk about the last three messages that you've you've been going through mm-hmm. in our series, Disconnected. So what's the overall vibe you know, from this series so far? Gabe, I've had a really tremendous response from all of the messages, uh, yours included, um, and really what this whole series has been about has been really trying to cross, like, what does God want from us? with where are we at in our society today. This series 20 years ago would have been completely irrelevant, certainly, you know, centuries ago. But now we live in this age where we are connected to everything. Even 10 years ago, I mean, you think about where we're at with social media and all that stuff. That stuff is very, very rapidly changing just how we even view ourselves as human beings. And we don't even know what the net effect of it's going to be. And that's the crazy part about it because it is so new. In fact, Facebook now has been old enough where they've been now, they can track like a decade of use. Right. And one of the things that they're noticing is that their, their people are not posting as much personal stuff as they used to. They're just like sharing articles and putting like goofy videos of chipmunks and stuff like right. that. That's why you see in your feed the memories from years ago because they want you to tap into the things that are important to you because that's what people are going to be interested in. And it is interesting yeah. too because also as people's friends have lists have grown over 10 years, so you you know, 50, 100, now a lot of people have like 1,000 or 2,000 friends, they're a little more hesitant about what they're going to share because they realize they have such a large pool of people who may or may not be that close with them and they don't know how all that stuff works. So Facebook is now trying to go back and figure what's going to be our next kind of our 2.0 of how we're going to keep people being real with, right. as, instead of just posting ridiculous inane stuff that means basically nothing. So we're, we're distancing ourselves from the personal by going digital and even in the digital that was supposed to be personal, we're distancing our, ourselves even more. Right. So really it just becomes like this weird voyeurism kind of a thing. Right. So I'm going to go, I'm going to escape from my life and I'm not even really going to get into anybody else's life. I'm just going to kind of look at these snapshots that are just kind of like white noise. They don't really do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I can sit and I can watch the, and I, I honestly haven't seen the woman with the Chewbacca face, the Chewbacca mask. Is that how you say it? The mm-hmm. Chewbacca mask. Sorry. <laughs> Um, Chewbacca. Chewbacca. My, my daughter's here and she used to say she's instead of cheese. So that's where I'm getting it from. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but the Slight point accent. is, this like they say blew up the internet. So the Chewbacca mask blew up the internet. And I, I don't really know. She's just laughing a lot. But that, that's even interesting, even in of itself, because that's touching people. I was reading this article about how just her laughter just touches people and people are crying out still for that connection. So when they find it, it works. But then mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, you can watch stuff that just basically, again, means means nothing. Right. Very interesting stuff. I think um, one of the main points when we were coming to the series was you wanted to make sure that we're talking about navigating the digital age. We're not we're not going backwards in time. We're not becoming Amish. We're not saying all technology is bad. But how do you navigate the culture? Right. We're trying to dig out what's what's redeeming and what's good. I mean, even yeah. what we're doing right now, we're trying to find something of substance that we can get on this platform because yeah. this is where in fact one of the reasons I was doing a radio show for a while, one of the reasons I kind of stopped doing it, regardless of the fact that it was just kind of too much schedule time for me, but it's like how am I really reaching people? You know, right. I mean, radio is still cool, but I can have a lot more. I think I'd rather have a smaller impact in a, in a way like this um, as opposed to, well, you can only listen to it this time or only right. reaches this segment of people and people are downloading stuff a whole lot more. So, um, but I do think that, that the navigating is the big deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'd be kind of backwards for us to say it's all bad and then we're, 
live streaming on Facebook right now. Right. It's not yeah. bad. It's yeah. not. That's the key. And and so people that are anti-technology are really just going to become more and more isolated. The key is how do I know? Look, I'm going to get hit with porn. I'm going to get hit with um, racist stuff. I'm going to get hit. I um, have some crazy uncle from, that I thought I forgot about. He's going <laughs> to find me on Facebook. and go. How do I get past this and move through it? So we right. talk, try to talk about a lot of issues about that. And how it affects certain things. I mean, the last three weeks we talked about uh, parenting. We mm-hmm. talked about work. And then last Sunday, you talked about friendship. So let's take a little step back and look yeah. at those. Uh, three weeks ago, you, you talked about effective parenting in the digital age. Now, um, I thought it was really interesting how you qualified and defined effective in the realms of being a parent. And how, how did you define that again? Well, I think the key thing is when we look at, I was, I was trying to ask myself, what does it mean to be effective? And it, because you have so many parents who do everything they can and their kids still turns out as a huge kind of right. disappointment to them. And we have to remember that we are all, and this is the scary part about parenting. Every child is a free moral agent before God. And they are just as human as you are. And the issues in their lives, even though we go, ah, you know, they're a fifth grader, they're a second grader, you know, their problems aren't that big. To them, they are. And they're still making moral choices all the time at that level that they're at. And you can do the best that you can. But the the easiest way to qualify it or to give an example of it is if you have three children and you might say, well, one of them turns out great or two of them turn out great, but one of them you had a real problem with, you you, you basically did, they lived in the same home, they had the same experiences, they went on the same vacations. It's just the way that, and the choices that they made and the the things that they experienced, you know, hit them in a certain way where they said, you know, they just developed these problems or whatever else. So my whole point was, rather than trying to be so focused on outcome, you have to kind of give that to God. Instead, what are you doing? For example, I was really challenged by, and this is one of the things I want to start doing, is like writing personal letters to my kids. That's mm. that's a process thing. If I spend all day going, oh, what if they do this? What if they do that? Rather than going, what can I do to kind of build layers of foundation? Right. That's one of the reasons why we talked about the circle thing and why I like the circle, uh, the, the internet limiter. Right. Circle was a product that we, we kind of stumbled across in our research. It's this thing that you attach to your internet that allows you to limit uh, usage, mm-hmm. uh, certain apps, all those kinds of things in case you, you weren't there or you didn't see it. It's pretty neat. You can check it out at the triplexchurch.com. Yeah. Well, you go to, um, I think, meetcircle.com, I think, is okay. the website for that, too. And you can you pick can, it up anywhere. Best Buy, Target, um, any place where they kind of have stuff like that, you can get it. Right. And what's interesting about that is um, it really does put control back in the in the seat of the parents. So the parents are in the driver's seat again. And again, nothing wrong with technology, but what's what's been so difficult, I don't think the parent has a problem that my child is on the internet. I think that the, the angst is I don't know what they're doing and I can't stop them. And, you know, we talked about this before. You know, you know what your God is based on what would happen if that God was removed? Right. So you see what, what's been really interesting about Circle and what I've had parents tell me is the amount of anger that they experience when they shut their internet off. <laughs> and the kid is like, how dare you do this to me? And you see all of this rage and frustration. What does that say about the hold right. that the internet in general 
and all the connection to their various apps has on them that they just go crazy. It's like, it's like taking a drug away from somebody. Right. In fact, my sister-in-law, she made the best analogy. She said, you know, it's like, it's like when you want to give your kid a cookie, but you don't want to give them the whole package. And before it's like, you know, you, you give your kid a couple of cookies, but now it's like they, you, you want to give them something, but they take the whole package and they can eat the whole package of cookies. and You can't do anything about it. Right. This allows you to say, you know what? It's okay to have a cookie, but you're going to have three of them as opposed to 85, right? which is where I think most kids are when it comes to this whole thing. Right. And it's even just about managing attention. Right. So it's even, I think what, what kind of made it interesting to me too, was not just for my kids, you know, saying, you know, Paisley's five, she loves, she could, she could just sit on Netflix and watch show after show after show, limiting that for her, but even limiting it for the household, managing the attention of, of what, what are we really focused on? You know, are we just spending all of our time on Pinterest or on Facebook or on Netflix or all these things? You know, I, I think it, once you have something that's measuring that, that might actually change your focus a bit and right. actually reveal maybe some of those little G-gods, as you kind of mentioned, not only for the kids, but for yourself. Oh, but for us as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, I know it's in our home and it's like, you got to remind it like, wow, I, I can see what I'm looking at or <laughs> worse yet, my wife can see what I'm looking at right. in terms of how long I've been, you know, on a certain website or whatever. So it is part of being honest about the fact that time, our time and our attention is, it is important and time is not infinite. It's a zero sum game. Right. And, and when, and it's always that opportunity cost when you're doing something here, you're not doing something over exactly. here. And that's the part I think that we kind of need to wake up with. And I, and by the way, I, I think it's a wonderful diversion and distraction at times. Sometimes you need, and we talk about the work thing, sometimes right. you need that break from intense concentration. But what we've done is we've flipped it. It's almost like the internet's become the default setting and then we'll default into periods of concentration. That's not the way it right. should be. The default setting should be aggressive concentration in terms of what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to accomplish. And then I take breaks where I can step aside and, and shut it off and really allow my brain right. to process stuff. Yeah. Before we jump into the work, because I want to put a pin in that because I think that's where I want to head with that. But on the parenting thing, I thought it was a really great principle focusing on processing. You drew that right out of Deuteronomy yes. with the Shema, you know, you want to teach what's most important. The way you measure effectiveness is, are you teaching your kids to love God? Right. Not whether or not they got it and they live by it, but, but have you done your part? And see, that's so important. That's why what, when we have um, baby dedications at Compass, we call them parent child dedications. Right. Because we're not, the child doesn't really do anything, but just like sit there and, you know, smile and wink at Dave when he's doing them or whatever on the stage, <laughs> but they don't do anything. Um, it's, it's the parent that has to make that decision. And that's what you see. That's what struck me. You know, we first talked about this parenting sermon was out of that Deuteronomy 6, 4. It's, it's, you shall teach these things to your children. There isn't the, here's how you're going to measure your own effectiveness against the behavioral outcome of your child. Right. I do think, yeah, I mean, our outcomes important. Of course they're important, but it's like anything else. You know, we've, we talked about this. If you want to, it's, it's much easier to manage a lifestyle where you say, rather than trying to set a goal of losing 50 pounds, I'm going to set a goal of going to the gym five days a week. Right. You can't really do anything about the fact that you're going to lose 50 pounds or not, because that has to do with your, your biology and, you know, life and whatever else. But you can do something about the fact that you go to the gym every day. And that's the whole point right. with, with outcome is I can't really do anything about what my child's going to do when they're 18. But what I can do is say, what experiences them, or, uh, what experiences am I exposing them to? What kind of big rocks are they getting in their jar? Because the wonderful thing about it is we have the opportunity, especially in 
and again, talking to parents of smaller kids or younger kids to say, listen, there's no possible way you can accuse us of not trying to engage you. We did write those letters. We did spend that time. We did ask those questions. We did say, hey, listen, and I tell you, as a pastor, you know, I got three pastor's kids. You know what they say about pastor's kids? They can go crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there going, how do I keep, how do we keep our kids from going crazy? And part of it with my son, I remember saying a while ago, you know, Rye, whatever you want to ask me about Christianity or life in general, you're free to ask. You have a free pass. I don't ever want you to think if you're ever doubting God, it's normal to doubt God. Yeah. It's normal to doubt Christianity. Why would you, why would you think, or it's normal to have a certain kind of feeling or thought or whatever that maybe, you know, who, if they don't go to us, who are they going to go to? Right. So to just say, Hey, listen, just for the record, you've always been able to come to me. You've always been able to share. And you, as long as you come to me with it, you know, and we can talk this thing through, there's not going to be that judgment and everything else, because what are you doing? You're discipling your kids. Right. You're leading them on the journey one day at a time. And that's the best you can do. Yeah, I think maybe you can give us one question you can ask yourself at the end of the day to kind of measure that effectiveness. What would that be? Um, well, I think the best thing is it is would would well, it goes back to this this whole illustration I gave of if, you know, Anderson Cooper from CNN or wherever was asking your kid, "Hey, does your does your father or does your mother love Jesus more than anything else?" Mm. what would your child's response be? Yes, yeah. no, or I don't know. Yeah. Because if there's any hesitation at all, then you might really love Jesus, but there's something, there's some disconnect there. There's something they're not seeing. Because yeah. too many kids see legalism or rules. They don't see the grace part. Right. They don't see the, the, the Jesus part. They don't see the, hey, by the way, I make these mistakes too. Well, hey, one of the best things you can do to teach your kids is when you make a mistake, just to say, hey, you know what? I blew that. Yeah. I totally made a mistake. I love the point that you brought out in the sermon where you brought it back to the story of the gospel and, and really the prodigal son, you know, mm-hmm. where we've done the same. We yeah. ran away from God. So even God, who's perfect in his love, his grace, his justice, his mercy— if he measured, if we measured his effectiveness on the outcomes, uh, yeah, we, that's a very good point. We'd we'd be in a lot, but but it's not. It's the effectiveness of what he's communicated, and it's perfect. Right, and and we're still free moral agents that have chosen to run. Right, and it's funny because Romans one says that that God's divine attributes and His nature have been clearly seen by what's been made, so that men are without right. excuse. And yet, what happens? People still they can see flowers and trees and beautiful women and sunsets and all this wonderful stuff, right. and still say, I, "I'm convinced without a doubt that God doesn't exist." Right, this is crazy to me. So let's talk a little bit about uh, work. And and you'd already kind of mentioned we live in an age where it's flipped. Instead of distractions being a, a, a point of uh, enjoyment or exercise away from the focus, we've kind of uh, inversed that. Now we, we live distracted, and it, it takes some effort to get out of it in order to do some focus and concentration. The biggest challenge is the opportunities that we have. Um, you in, I think in times past, you had to, you had to manage boredom. Yes. You couldn't just, you couldn't be bored for two seconds and then go to your phone. You had to go, I literally have nothing to do right Right. now. So, so uh, what do I do? And even looking at like, you know, frontier America or whatever else, 
you don't have, you know, you didn't have a neighbor next door right away or whatever, you know, or you had more space, more distance, you know, perhaps, or if you had people in close proximity, there, there was, there was that connection there, but there was also higher levels of accountability because people could watch you and see you all the time. I mean, whatever the case may be there, but there also wasn't just, you had to kind of work at, at at entertaining yourself or better than entertaining, engaging yourself. By the way, there's nothing wrong with entertaining to entertain just means to hold your attention. I love that entertainment versus engagement yeah there's nothing wrong with it but engagement really is like okay what engagement to me is about not just my attention but it's about my gifts it's about it's about using my time wisely it's about what what am i doing and i i I tell you for me i am haunted by the fact that what what things could i be doing or could i've already done had i used my time better yeah i think about the age we live in and i'm i'm grateful um you know talking like i'm an old person i'm you know well you're thir- what 30, 31 31 so. but a you go, third of your life you go back 20 years gone. ago and there were some distractions but tv was what was on is what is on right yeah which is a big difference because now you can sit and watch hours of whatever you want mm-hmm. on demand with Netflix, with Hulu and all that. So you could literally just go from one thing to another endlessly. And the problem with that though, go ahead. So what was different about back then was I had to actually, when I wanted the show that I want, I had to actually schedule that and do that. And then it was done. So I had these long periods of boredom. When I was 13, I learned to play the guitar because mm-hmm. I was bored. Yeah. And, and, you, you find something mm. that actually engages you and, and mm-hmm. challenges you. Um, mm. Now we live in such a distracted culture. I think some of those things, you know, you need boredom to, to move you into those levels of craftsmanship and engagement and things like that. Boredom's a necessary part of, of life. Well, it is. And it's funny because in that, I did reference a lot of the book by Cal Newport called right. Deep Work. And it's, it's really, really challenging in a lot of ways. And, and that's exactly so. For example, um, my son has been kind of messing around with one of our um, guitars and I taught him a few chords and he's like, what do I do now? Right. I said, well, yeah, I taught you three chords. You need to sit here and you need to play them over and over yeah. and over and over again until you just want to run screaming for the door. Because that's what it takes to get good at something. And of course, after a couple of days, he was kind of doing that. You know, he'd study for his finals and he'd kind of practice. And I, and I came in and he was playing. He says, what, what does it sound like? It sounds 100 times better because that's what it takes. And it's, it's the willingness right. to let yourself be unbelievably bored in the midst of something that you're doing. And I think what you brought up is brilliant. You were bored, so you started playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. Imagine how your life would have been different if you had instant access to entertainment whenever you wanted it. Right. And that's really the concern. You know, there was an article that came out yesterday about men, young men, who are now are living at home Longer than than women now. So young men are staying, are living at home with mom and dad for a longer stretch of time than even their female counterparts. Right. And, you know, and it's like, why? Well, because you, you know, if mom and dad let you stay there, there's a lot of things you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about a bottom line. You don't have to worry about right. this. You can continue to delay adulthood longer and longer and longer. And my first response when I read that article was like, man, we need these guys in our economy. We need these guys, you know, in our, as part of our population. Everyone right. talks about overpopulation. We don't have an overpopulation. Have you ever taken a flight from LA to New York? We do not have an overpopulation problem. Okay. God says, you know, fill 
the earth, but we have this delayed adulthood that's not doing good for our economy because you're not thinking of a new idea. You're not learning a new skill. Right. You're not throwing yourself out there. And, and a lot of it, I think, is due to consistent um, distraction all the time. Yeah, I've been reading uh, Teddy Roosevelt's autobiography, mm-hmm. and I was, I was watching Ken Burns' documentary, and it's very interesting because the guy was super ADD. Yes. Very ADD. You see any picture that he's got this clenched fist and it's not anger, it's energy that he's got to do. So his boredom drove him to be this renaissance man. And I wonder what he would have been. <laughs> he lived in an age where he could he could fulfill that boredom through means mm. that weren't as fruitful or productive. Yes. Because he was going out, you know, doing taxidermy and doing because he he saw that as a way to to engage himself from the boredom to to put to rest the boredom, he would go out and do skillful things. I think that's so huge because that, that is, we, we've done such a great job at meeting people's needs in our economy. You know, I mean, that's what, you know, you go find a need and meet it. That's how you start a business. You figure, you know, what is, what does someone need? And that's, that's, that's a good thing, but too much of it is not a good thing. And you do wonder right. what he would have turned out to be. And he, he's obviously one of our heroes. Um, we talk about right. him a lot, Theodore Roosevelt, because, because of that, because of that just all-encompassing fire and, and, and uh, you know, energy and aggression to go out and just do amazing things right. and not let anybody stop him. Yeah, and there was a, a quote I think we had looked at by Skinner who said that technology is supposed to relieve us from toilsome labor, but instead has been something that just uh, meets trivial uh, conveniencies. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have all this technology that does stuff for us. I remember there was one comedian that said uh, those, those laser sensor paper towel dispensers are an answer to a, a problem that nobody had. <laughs> was, yeah. Like, we used to just grab them. Remember you grab them out and it, you just have a paper towel? Now you have to pretend like you're a bad ma- magician for a while waving, trying to conjure water underneath there. And we and, have one of those, right, actually. We have, we have a those. trash can in our conference room that you're sitting there waving Yeah, I watched, hand. we watched Dave this morning probably do that like 10 times. Like, what are you, you doing? He could have just opened the lid at any point, you know? Yeah. We thought so, maybe he had some kind of like 70s fever yeah, going. Yeah, he was, he was doing this thing. But it wasn't working. Well, let's keep moving. Um, anything else that was really that you wanted to hit on? I really liked... Um, the meaningful work and how, how did you define that again? You were talking about how do you, how do you infuse meaning into the work that you do? Well, I think it's gotta be something that, you know, engages your, your, your talents and everything else, but also stuff that's done with integrity and stuff that really can, can last and have some, some type of really what it is, is it's value. It's creating value that can be appreciated by others. Right. I think that's something that, is is really important and is what you do because it's there's what you do but then there's the process of what you're doing as well so you could run like a a, a, a paper company, which maybe people see as like, a, well, that's not really like a good or a bad thing. But how are you running that company? Right. How are you working in that company? You can be a, you can have any kind of job. The job to me is like secondary. It's how are you doing that job? Right. And and with what energy are you putting it in? Because that's really at the end of the day, people need all kinds of stuff. What they don't need is to buy a product or to use a service that's that's done in a way that does without excellence. You know, and we talk about that here. The hard thing about about running a church sometimes is there's so many things that you have to do just you know like we like we like you got like you do music 
we, we want to do music really, really well, but that's not all we do. Right. You know, we want to build a really cool facility, but that's not all we do. We want to do children's ministry, but that's not all we do. So like, whereas a band, they just focus on music and that's right. all they do. And they have a repertoire of, you know, six songs or whatever else or 20 or 15, 20 songs. You guys have to do it with people that are doing multiple other things. And so it's really hard to keep that, that level of excellence right. up. And we want to do that as best as possible. But I think it's giving your heart to something and, and finding something that not just, the, not just what you're doing, but are you putting your whole self into it? Right. And I think over time you'll see those things start to kind of, you'll see like that, the benefits or the fruit of that. Like, like, wow, I've been doing this for five years. I've been doing this for 10 years. And I mentioned I've been in ministry for 20 years and I'm like, you know, it doesn't really feel any different except to go, well, that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like, like I, that's something that I can say in my life that I accomplished. And I like that. There's a Cal Newport who wrote that deep work book. He also wrote a, a book that we've talked about Mm -hmm. um, which is called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Yeah. And in that, he talks about the craftsman mindset versus the passion mindset. He says, in this world, we have this myth that you have to find this ideal job that that is you're passionate about and this and that. And he kind of argues that that passion actually comes later. Right. You commit to a job and you you, like a craftsman, you say, I'm going to I'm going to see what I can build in this job to present something unique and great to the world. So it doesn't matter what you do. But you find passion as you get autonomy, purpose, connectivity, all those things. And he says, you, as you develop skills in your job, you're able to kind of purchase those things as you get really good at something. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it is eliminating those distractions. And that really brings us back around to the whole, you know, living in this, um, yeah. in this disconnected or being disconnected in the, in the digital age is do, do you and I have the discipline to, because what I think, um, Whereas before the digital age, the big question we have to ask ourselves is, what am I going to engage in? I think now the question is, what am I not going to engage right. in? I'm going to be saying no to a lot more things that I'm going to be able to say yes to. Whereas before, it's like, well, I want to say yes to this and yes to this and yes to this. Because maybe the opportunities were not nearly what they what we thought they were. Now it's like, you could you could... Again, it's that opportunity cost. You're going to have to be really good at saying, no, 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 no. I, I, I won't watch your video. I won't look at this. I won't do that. I can't because I've, I've got to be about this one thing. Right. And I think what you're saying is the more you get into that one thing um, and, and you narrow that focus, the more you actually begin to love it. Yeah. And it could be something that when you were five years old or 10 years old, you didn't even care about. Like, right. who cares about this? But what happens is I believe that when God, when Jesus says, that I have come, they may have life. I believe that's like a, what God does is he didn't just make your life better. He adds dimensionality to your life. Which that, makes your life better. Which makes yeah. your life better. Like you didn't realize that, wow, I didn't even know there was this whole world that existed. Or I didn't know there was this, this could be a source of happiness. I didn't know that staying married for, you know, as opposed to ditching my wife and finding some other lady or whatever, but that, that, that stay, but actually going through that hard time, that that could be more rewarding than the right. thrill of something new. That staying in a job or staying in a task for a long period time can be more rewarding than right. the thrill of just bumping from here to here to here to here to here. And I think that's the, that's the adventure. That's the scary part because you're, that is a trade-off. Well, I could re I could hit the reset button on my family and my job on my skill set or whatever else and experience that I'm on this journey, but you're really not. You're yeah. really just going back to one Oh one level stuff. And then you're going to get bored again. And you're going to get bored because again. it's, it's going to be at this level. And then you're going to go, well, I just must not be passionate about this. Exactly. Whereas if you went deeper, you know, going back to the guitar, um, when you first learned the guitar, 
it is not fun. No. The not. idea, the romanticized image of Jimi Hendrix up there, you know, making the faces and flailing his arms, that's that's awesome. But that's not what it's like when you start. When you first start, the, your, your chords sound terrible. You're trying to get three fingers to do something they've never done, and it takes time and effort, and it takes that enjoyment in the process. Yes. With the hope of the future, of what it could be later. Yeah, when you it see pushes Jimmy, you right when you see Jimi Hendrix doing that, what you don't see is the years yeah. and years and years of boredom. Right. Yeah, I I watched this documentary on him that came out recently. Uh, Hear my train to come and and it talked about how um, you know you, you want to just imagine that he was this incredibly talented guy, and there's there's a bit of that. But you talk to all of his friends in this documentary, like he never didn't have a guitar. <laughs> so right. he, they'd go to the movies. He had a guitar with him. They go out to eat, he'd have a guitar. It was just always playing. So stands to reason he was really good, not because of just his God-given talent, but because he logged in hours upon hours upon hours, and he, in doing so, he found love for the music that he was creating. And, and think of the things that he didn't do. Right. That's the, that's the thing is like, and that's why even, you know, you look at um, like my daughter who's sitting behind that whiteboard, she's in gymnastics and, and you know, the more that you, the more I, I was talking to her, I said, the, the deeper you get into this, you know, it's three days a week, four days a week, then it's five days a week and then three hours, four hours, five hours a day. And, and the payoff is why wow, this is really great. But I said, honey, you got to remember, there's a lot of things that you're not going to be able to do right. if you do all this. Now, you, if you know that, you can continue on and you got to love it. But, but those, and I think what happens really comes down to, do people want to really make that sacrifice? And I think right. then we go back to the digital age. It, it's, it's like, you know what I do? I, there's a lot of things I'm just not going to spend my time doing right. that I could. Anyway, we probably got to yeah. yeah, wrap I this mean, thing up. But focus is about elimination. Yeah. So you got to, if you want to go deeper into your work, you want to find more meaningful work, you got to eliminate some things. Yes. about distraction. Uh, so I want to hit friendship. I really liked the message uh, this last Sunday. I love um, where you went with it. And you used the parallel of Jesus mm-hmm. and how Jesus had friends and, and how he interacted with them. So a couple of points, one of your, your big points was uh, the few. You mm-hmm. can't be deep with huge amounts of people. Jesus was was God and he didn't do that. He had he had the the twelve and even where you pointed was even smaller than that. He had his group of the three. You want to unpack that a little more for us? Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before. I mean, I look at this with my work and I look at it with relationships. We live in a disposable culture. Is it possible to hang with people, even if you have a great distance. And I understand that, look, friendships are going to come and go. A lot of friendships will come yeah. and go. And that's, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing. I think it's age and stage. You know, I mean, if I've got, you know, you, you got a five-year-old daughter, you're going to naturally make friends with other people who, has, who have five-year-old daughters because right. they're going to, they're just, that's where you're at in life. That can lead to lifelong friends. It doesn't always. It leads right. to kind of companions and people that you can do life with and share information and everything else. But I think sometimes we feel like, well, I don't have a lot of friends. Do you need a lot of friends or do you, was, is it better to have, again, it's that 3 a.m. Who do I call when I'm, when I'm ashamed, when I'm embarrassed, when I'm about to do something really bad, when I'm, 
If you have all of those people, but you cannot think of one person that you could talk to in that situation, that is a major deficit. Right. And, and we are, I think the digital age has made it easier for us to isolate right. because we can present things as being fine. And I don't know about you, but I've been shocked. You know, you'll see like people post pictures of their spouses on Facebook. And then like two weeks later, they're with somebody else. And you're like, what happened? What, what happened there? Like, I don't know. You just got a new wife or a new girlfriend all of a sudden, but, but they, they were trying to like, you know, salvage it. And so they were like trying to put all this cool stuff. Like I love my bride or I love my husband or whatever. Right. And then it was like, it was already in, hitting the mountain basically. Mm-hmm. And so they were just doing that. And then no one knows. Cause they're just sending out these little like hail Mary Facebook posts. Right. And then the next thing, you know, you know, you're not married anymore. Well, where was the real connection? Where was the real conversation? Where was the real phone call? Like, we are in trouble. Is there anyone that can help us through this? Because oftentimes we feel like we're alone in all this stuff. You know, like no one's ever had a fight with their spouse. No one's ever had, you know, financial problems in their marriage. Everybody has. Yeah. Everybody has. Well, we hear it, you know, as pastors, you know, people think we don't have any of that. It's just funny because you know oh, we yeah. know each other and we're like no we have plenty oh you we know? have plenty yeah. yeah i mean i'm telling you 10 years ago my life was a wreck right um i i was i was i hated my life i i remember driving down baseline road i was driving down baseline road in my little nissan altima and i was like if this is what life is um i don't want any part of it i mean i was gonna kill myself but i'm like right. god just you know fast track <laughs> me to heaven because i hate this i hated how i felt mm. i was i was unhealthy my finances were were just crap my my uh my wife wasn't happy because i wasn't happy my kids were a pain in the butt it was just <laughs> terrible time my my brother was you know annoying it was yeah. just a terrible time he's filming by the way so he's in the room that was just a, <laughs> a shot over the bow <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, but, but, the, but, but, you know, to reach out to people because I mean, where I'm at now, yeah, I still got challenges and struggles, but, but, uh, but it's like, man, I want people to know that it hasn't always been great for me. It hasn't always been great right. for you. So anyway, and you need those people you can run to right? when you're having that moment and you're driving in your car and you're alone and broken, we were meant for relationship. Well, exactly. One of the things I didn't hit last week, and again, we could talk you know, for a long time about this, but even the Trinity, that God, right. God is not one. I mean, God is one, but God is one in three persons. Yeah. I'm not one in three persons. So when people go, well, I don't understand the Trinity. Yeah. You shouldn't understand the Trinity because you're one person. Right. One per, try, try explaining, um, depth to a person who only lives in length and width. Yeah. On a, imagine a person living on a sheet of paper, try to explain to them volume. They won't get it. Yeah. Same thing with us. God exists not as a not as us. He is different than we right. are. He has, but but the key factor is relationship. God has never been alone because he's always been in relationship with himself. And so because of that, he makes us in his image and makes us for each other. Right. We are constantly, biologically, this is true. Um, you know, emotionally it's true. We're always looking for connection. Connections. One of the reasons why we have the whole digital age in the first place. Right. What we want to worry about is the counterfeit connection. So that's what I was saying. There's a difference between connection and friendship. The, the, nothing wrong with connection, but connection allows me to have access to you. And, and, and your products or services or and your time. That alone is not relationship But that's not relationship. No, yeah. because I can hide behind that. And I can get a false sense of just because I have access to you that I really know you. Right. And the question I wanted to leave everybody with is, is who really knows you? Right. I love that. You know, I love that you, you said, who knows what's going on in here? Right. And you need, you need to have that group of three 
you know, you should have three names you can name. Who knows what's going right. on inside of here? And, you know, I've, I've experienced that, those moments where I didn't have that and, and yeah. what that does inside of you. And it's very important to have that kind of intimacy with people. Yep. You know, who do I know and who knows me? That yep. whole type of thing. Um, you, you talked on there versus, uh, how men go deeper in relationship versus women, I thought was really mm -hmm. interesting. You talked about how um, for men, just having a conversation doesn't seem to do a whole lot. And for women, a conversation does. And I actually wrote down these terms. I said, women uh, go deeper in relationship with, uh, through conversation with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And men go deeper in, in friendship and relationship through experience with risk. Yeah, because that, that's what brings out vulnerability. Right. In men. Yeah, men don't talk about vulnerability. You gotta, you gotta go do something where you're, you're gonna be challenged and, and something risky is gonna happen. And oftentimes, guys don't really need to say a whole lot of stuff, a lot of things at all. I mean, I think it is important for guys to talk. And I think, you know, one of the points, we, you know, you're gonna bring this up is, is even how we relate to our spouses. Like, right. as a man, I can't relate to my wife as a man and just go like, hey, in, and, and have her think like, wow, you know, what a great guy. Right. I have to try to figure out what brings her connection. You know what I mean? You have to and, speak to her. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When you preach this, I was sitting in the audience and I was thinking about how one of the greatest moments of friendship for me and my wife was this last uh, anniversary of ours. We hiked around the Grand mm -hmm. Canyon and uh, it was really cold. And uh, we had a bunch of gear and, and stuff like that. And uh, she, it was covered in snow. We're around the rim. And, and she's like, how cold do you think it is? And I, I, I had a feeling it was pretty cold, but I didn't want to scare her. I'm like, ah, it's probably like right around freezing. You know, that's why there's snow. You know, mm -hmm. It's like 30 degrees or whatever. And she's like, I think it's colder than that. Her camera wouldn't even take pictures. Her camera wow. was frozen. Come to find out it was the coldest day on record at the Grand Canyon. It was like negative 14, you know, but. We had this really crazy time where we, we ended up like going 15 miles and we were told that there was going to be buses. There was no buses and it was getting dark and it was this kind of risky, scary mm -hmm. moment. It was one of my favorite times where I felt like I had real connection with her. Yeah, right. She would probably say a time where we had the most connection is this one time where we stayed up really late and just talked about all the things that we were struggling with. Mm -hmm. And so I really saw that and, and you know, you, you have to find those friendships and those connections and speak to people you know you can't just expect it to go deep especially when you're i think we're wired differently Absolutely. men and women are wired differently well that's why you know that's why the ladies and not all ladies ride on the back of motorcycles some of them ride their own motorcycle but you know there's like a dude's got a got his lady on the back of the motorcycle that's pretty cool to him it's probably it almost maybe even mean more to him than to her because well, he's like definitely does wow you know <laughs> i've never taken yeah. my wife on the back of a motorcycle because i like the way that she's put together right now and i would hate to have to feed her through a tube for the rest of her life because i don't know how to ride a motorcycle right. but if i did i would love to have her on the back it's that whole thing of like adventure and journey and everything else right. that that men do connect with so i think that's a really good point yeah so anyway Good stuff. I yep. think, uh, and you also hit upon the the issue of we do need that friendship outside of. So, friend, you should have friendship yeah. within your marriage, yeah. like we're talking about, like connecting with your spouse. But outside your marriage is actually actually important too. And you you hit that point on Sunday. Let's just unpack that real quick, and we can yeah, talk. because the two become one. The two become one flesh. So, you know, you're you're going to get used to each other. I mean, you know, you you you're going to do things around your spouse that you may not even do around anybody else. Obviously, so. Right. 
you have that familiarity and that familiarity is important. But if that's all you have, then you don't have any gauge. Part of a relationship is I can gauge things. Like if I'm, if I have a friendship with you, I can gauge my issues compared to your issues not in a way of like, I'm better than you or whatever right. else, but it's like, I'm going through this. How do you deal with this? Right. And if you don't, if a married couple, you don't have that, you're, you don't, you, you won't have any way to gauge because maybe your marriage isn't as unhealthy as you think it is. Right. You know, kind of thing. So. And you think it's awful and like nobody goes through this and that's why you need that person you can call at 3 a.m. Right. right. So. That's cool. really good stuff. I'm looking forward to uh, this Sunday, which you're talking about Jesus, right? Jesus, yeah. Finding Jesus in the digital age. And it's going to be very different than most people think, you know, you're finding Jesus in the di- We're going to get into some really interesting stuff. I think it may be the best one. Yeah. Yet. Any teasers or anything you want to give us? Anything um, well, where you're wrestling no, I mean, with? It's hard to, you know, it's hard to explain because it's going to take a little bit, but basically Jesus didn't just um, f- virtually rise from the dead. He really rose from the dead yeah. bodily as real as you can get. Why? What's the big deal? And can does does that actually have a life changing effect? Not just the fact that I believe that in my head, but I live as though he. You know, what are the implications of that? So we're gonna get into that and, and kind of wrap up the digital age kind of stuff. So awesome. Good. Well, thanks cool, a lot. Yep. It's always fun. Always and fun. Uh, we'll see you next time at the green room. We'll see you this Sunday. Yeah. In there. <laughs>